Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Whether you've been coming to church for a long time, you know the mission of our church is to bring those far from God near to life in Christ. I like that phrase near because really in your walk with God, it's not like you ever really arrive. You don't just reach this point where it's like, okay, I made it. If you're doing it right, then every day you're growing closer in your relationship with Jesus. So I don't know what your next step would be today, but I promise you that you have one. It might be to go to growth track. It might be to join a team. It might be to bring a friend to church. It might be to trust God in your finances with the tithe. It might be to make a sacrificial gift. It might be more personal, something God is dealing with you about, a change that you need to make. Everybody here has a next step. And if by chance you're one of those 60 people that made a decision to follow Jesus last week, I wanna talk to you about your next step today. And that's the next step of baptism. Now, you know, being a Christian is a personal decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. Nobody can force you to be a Christian. Nobody can follow Jesus on your behalf. It's a personal decision. But just because it's a personal decision doesn't mean that it's meant to be a private decision. What's personal is meant to be public. And in the church, I've grown up in church. My dad was a pastor. I've been leading this church for a number of years now. I've been around church my whole life, I see a lot of people who say yes to Jesus personally, but very few people that say yes to Jesus publicly. I see a lot of people that will say yes to Jesus for salvation, but for whatever reason, they say no, or maybe they say not yet to baptism. And I think there's a number of different reasons for that, but one of the reasons I think is because we've never explained why baptism is so important. We've never explained why baptism matters. And today, what I wanna do for all of us is to really help you understand why baptism is a big deal. I wanna help you realize why it matters. And to do that, I want us to look at a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter three. I don't just want you to hear it from me, I want you to see it for yourself in scripture. You know, it's not just the fact that Jesus said you should be baptized. It was one of the last things he said to his disciples, by the way. Before he ascended into heaven, he gave the great commission. He said, go now, make disciples of every nation and teaching them to obey my commands. That's what we do as a church. We're gonna teach you, if you come here, we're gonna teach you what Jesus says and how to live according to what he says, how to apply it to your life. But then he says, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's a command that he gave, but you know, it's not just something that Jesus said, it's also something that he did. And that's what I want us to look at today in Matthew chapter three. If you're following along in your Bible, you can join me in verse 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you're the one coming to me? Well, Jesus replied, hey, let it be this way. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So then John consented. 
As John, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. In that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Now, in case you're new to church or new to the Bible, Matthew is one of the gospels, one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And in Matthew chapter three, Jesus' ministry hasn't even started yet. If you were to read this for yourself at this point in scripture, you're gonna read about the history of Jesus' birth. And you're also gonna hear a little bit about this guy, John the Baptist. But up until this point, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. This is the moment that Jesus announces the beginning of his public ministry. This is the moment where Jesus comes on the scene and lets the world know the mission that he came to earth for. This is the moment where Jesus' ministry goes public. And I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes and write some things down, I'm calling this message Going Public. Going Public. It's always my custom to pray. I wanna get into God's word here, but... I would just ask you to bow your head with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. I believe God's gonna speak to you through this message today. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come into your presence. And God, I'm thankful that every time we come into your presence, you speak to us, Lord. Nobody came to hear me. We don't need to know my opinion, my ideas, my philosophies, God. We need to hear from you and what you would say. So God, I ask that you would use me in this moment. Let your word go forth. Let it change lives. God, we know it has the potential to change lives every time that it's spoken. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. I'm curious, how many of you have a favorite piece of furniture in your house? Maybe, like you, maybe for you it's some chair, like a recliner, like that's your spot, like your comfy chair. Maybe it's a, like a, your dining room table. Maybe there's a lot of memories around the table and the scratches and, and the, the stains and you just so much nostalgia from that table. Um, maybe, maybe it's like a couch. Maybe like that is your spot. Like after church on Sunday, we can find you on the couch. Uh, for me and Marissa, it's our bed. It's not what you're thinking. I, I know it's like, come on, just we're in church, all right? It's Maybe subconsciously that has something to do with it, but, but we really like our, our bed, we, we do. And um, there, there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, part of it is uh, we, we saved up money to get this really nice mattress and, and bed. And you know, we had researched all, all the different mattresses and the different kinds and asking friends and reading reviews. And we saved a lot of money, we finally got this bed. One reason I really like it is because it's our first king size bed. And uh, so, so finally, you know, like Marissa, she's always wanted to be close to me. Like she never leaves me alone. Sometimes I try and tell her all the time, like I'm not a piece of meat. Like sometimes I just want to talk. I have feelings, I have emotions, but she's always invading my space. And now that we have a king size bed, like she has her space and I have my space and we don't have to touch. It's amazing. And, and uh, but we, we, we really do like this bed. There's only one thing that I don't like about this bed. It's this memory foam kind of bed, and that's great, it's comfy, but there's this one thing that I don't like, and that's the fact that, like, you can't flip the mattress, you just have to rotate the mattress. And the problem with that for me is, you know, we've had this bed for a number of years now and served us well, but because all you do is rotate the mattress from head to toe, like, it's kind of developed this ridge in the middle of it. Some of you are nodding your head, you have this same bed, I can tell. 
And so I've been thinking, like, it just, it just kind of, it kind of bothers me. And, and, and I've been thinking of all these different ways I can solve this problem, you know, so like, like I've tried sleeping in the middle of the bed when Marissa's out of town or, you know, like I, I've tried like having my kids jump on the middle of the bed when Marissa's out of town. Basically everything I try is when Marissa's out of town. Um, I, I finally, the, I had this idea. I was like, you know, this bed is, it's pretty square. I think instead of rotating all the way, I'm just gonna do a quarter rotate on I'm just gonna try it and see if, if I like this better. And let me tell you, it was amazing. It was great, it solved all my problems. I liked it so much that I'm just gonna leave this until Marissa comes home. I'm just gonna see if she notices. It took 1.2 seconds when she walked in the room. She's like, what did you do to the bed? You, you did something to the bed. I can tell you changed it. You may be thinking, what does this have to do with my sermon? But you know, when we accept Christ, it says that Jesus makes his home in our heart. You know, he does a lot more than just rotate the mattress. He does a lot more than rearrange the furniture. The point I'm trying to make is that when Jesus makes his home in your heart, something should change where people notice. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And that's what's so cool about baptism is that it's obvious to everyone. It's this public statement, this public declaration that I'm with Jesus. My life has changed. I've committed myself to him. I'm a different person now. You can see it from where you're sitting. You can see it on me. Something's different. Even the baptism of Jesus, it was obvious. There was something that happened. It's pretty extraordinary. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's the moment he was baptized. It says the heavens opened. The spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Now I'm not suggesting to you that when you get baptized, the clouds are gonna part and God's glory is gonna shine down. Like that would be amazing if it, I would jump in and have you baptize me if that happened. I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but I do wanna tell you what is gonna happen and why it matters. Because the baptism of Jesus is a dramatic event. So much so, it's one of the few things in the Gospels that every Gospel writer saw fit to include. It's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all witnessed this moment and thought, man, that is so amazing. That is so significant. We have to write this down. We have to tell other people what happened. And it's understandable why. I mean, this was the moment that narrates Jesus' inauguration of ministry. This is the moment where he announces why he's on the scene. This was the moment where Jesus goes public with his mission, where he says, I'm here for one purpose, and it is to march toward the cross. It's really powerful to think about. It's also a little confusing. I mean, why would Jesus need to be baptized? He's the son of God. He's perfect. He's sinless. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't have anything that he needed to repent for, and yet he says, I want you to baptize me. I think some of that same confusion around baptism and Jesus' baptism bleeds into our own understanding. A number of years ago, my oldest children, Reese and Oliver, 
Uh, they were little kids at this point. I remember them being in the bathtub together. And uh, I, I walked in, because I'm one of those fathers that's not always really observant when I'm bathing my kids. And I, I walked in, and uh, I, I saw Reese. He's like taking his little brother, Oliver, and dunking him in the name of the Father, Son, like three times. He's holding him down. And I'm like, Reese, what are you doing? He says, I'm baptizing him. Now, I don't know if he was trying to be funny or if he just really thought that's what it was, baptizing. But, you know, just like my son Reese, when he was little, I think there's a lot of us that we don't understand what baptism really is. I think sometimes people think that baptism is a thing that makes somebody a Christian. Like, I'll ask people from time to time, you know, say, well, tell me, you know, are you a Christ follower? Are you a Christian? And their response will be, well, I was baptized when I was seven. Well, there's nothing wrong with being baptized when you were seven, but being baptized when you were seven doesn't make you a Christian. On the other hand, I see people that, you know, that they don't get baptized for all sorts of reasons. They think, well, I really want my family to be there to witness it, or, you know, I really want the right moment. I want, you know, the song to be playing. I want it to be done on the beach. I, you know, have this, I want the sun to be setting. They have all this picture of how it's supposed to be. Or sometimes people don't get baptized because they think about all the stuff in their life that's not right yet. They think about all the reasons how they still fall short. All the reasons why even though they said yes to Jesus, that they're still living in a way that's not always honoring. Like they have to get cleaned up before they can go under the water. But that's not what baptism is about. See, baptism isn't where you find Jesus. Baptism is what you do once you found him. And can I tell you, if Jesus is not part of your baptism, then all you're doing is getting wet. You're, just, you're literally just taking a bath. You're getting soaked. Now, that might clear up some confusion for you, but I, I want to dig into this idea of what baptism is about and why Jesus did it. And I see some parallels in his baptism that apply to us, and I want to point them out to you. And the first one is this. It's identification. Identification. Jesus' baptism, it affirmed John's ministry and identified himself with the people that he'd come to save. He set an example for us to follow. Now, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for repentance. That's obvious. John said as much. Jesus comes up and says, I want you to baptize me. And John says, can't be this way. This isn't right. I'm the one that should be baptized by you. What are you doing coming to me? It's clear that Jesus wasn't repenting of sin. He's perfect. But what was he doing? He was taking this step to show us the way. He, he did it to identify with those of us who need to repent and need to turn our hearts toward Jesus. And I think it might be helpful to understand a little bit of the story behind baptism because, you know, John is called John the Baptist. How would you like to be known, like be so good at what you do that it becomes your last name? He's called John the Baptist as part of his ministry. But you know, he didn't originate baptism. It actually, there's a story behind this. And what you might not understand is that the Jews, even though during this time it was not a great point in their history, they'd become hard-hearted and even half-hearted towards the things of God. 
They're under a Roman occupation. So there's, they don't have all the freedoms that they would necessarily have. And at this point, things aren't going so well for the Jews, but that wasn't always the case. There was some times when the Jews had it going on where they were being blessed by God and they had peace in their land. And it was during those times that people would occasionally, they'd wanna be identified with the Jews. Where a Gentile, Gentile is simply somebody who wasn't a Jew, said, hey, I like what you have and I want that in my life. How do I get it? The, the most obvious answer was they petitioned to become a Jew. This is easy for us to understand because everybody likes to be identified with a winner. That's why like the moment somebody wins the World Series, the moment somebody wins the NBA championship, that the moment somebody you know, wins any kind of significant event, you see all these jerseys pop up. It's like, I had no idea you were a fan. It's like, well, you were last week because they won, but you, you see it happen because everybody likes to be identified with the winner. Well, that's the same thing for the Gentiles. They saw God's blessing on the Jews, said, I, I, I would like to have that in my life. And there was a three-step process that had to be completed. The first one was they had to give an offering. They had to make a sacrifice. Usually it was a heifer, maybe two pairs of, of turtle doves, uh, and, and they would make a burnt offering, a sacrifice. It was gruesome, it was expensive. There was the shedding of blood. It was this reminder that this costs you something. This isn't easy. Not only did it cost you something that there's a, a dying involved in this process, there's a dying not just of these animals, but to your old way of life. Next step was, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. That was normal in Jewish custom before a Gentile to become a Jew, they had to be circumcised. And it was a cutting away of the flesh. It was a permanent mark, a permanent identifier that you've been changed, that God now has a covenant with you. And then the final step after the circumcision had healed was you had to be baptized. And the way they would do it is they would take off their outer garments. We don't make you do that here, by the way. In fact, we will not let you do that here, by the way. We'll make you change into something else. They would take off their outer garments. They would go to the priest, if they were a man, if they were a woman, they were attended by females. And they would go completely under the water and raise back up. They would receive a new name, signifying that everything has changed. You can imagine the level of humility this would take. This wasn't a decision that anybody made lightly. It was a complete abandonment of your former life, your former nationality, your former allegiances. You are now a Jew, spiritually and physically. It represented complete identity change. It wasn't just a life enhancement. It wasn't something that you added to your life. God didn't become one of the gods in your life. It was a complete new identity. So John, he adopted this idea of a proselyte baptism and he morphed it into a baptism of repentance. See, it wasn't just about renouncing an old way of life. It was about announcing a new identity. And in the same way, Jesus came and said, I'm now identifying with you. I'm taking on a new idea. I'm not doing what I'm doing 
as God. I'm doing it as I'm one of you, taking on your sin, taking on your shame, taking on your failings. And in the same way that Jesus did it to identify with us, when we go under the water, what we're saying is, God, I wanna be identified with you. I'm laying down my old ways, my old sins, my old patterns, I'm dying to them, and I'm asking you to raise me up to new life, to your life. I'm asking you to put that in me. I'm, I'm signifying that by this action. What's interesting about John's baptism, though, is that it was also a ministry of preparation. That's the second point I wanna tell you. It's preparation. See, John was doing it to prepare people for the Messiah. Jesus did it to prepare himself for his mission. And the principle is this, is that before God moves in power in your life, he is always looking for an act of humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. Uh, to connect the parallels for you, I need to go back to Israel's history. I, I told you there were times that God was blessing Israel. This was not one of those times. But this was kind of a pattern in Israel's history. God had always longed to bless Israel. God made his covenant with Israel. And so he did bless Israel. And what would happen is as God would bless Israel, they'd become complacent in God's blessing. They, they, they'd begin to think that they just got it because of them, or because they had something going on. And because of that, they'd begin to take God for granted. Well, as they take God for granted, eventually they'd turn their back on God. And when you turn your back on God, you're turning your back away from his blessing. Away from his blessing, tragedy would set in, there'd be crisis, there'd be war, there'd be famine, there would be things that would happen. And the tragedy would always cause Israel to turn their back, turn their hearts back towards God again. And they'd repeat this cycle over and over. Well, John the Baptist, he, he comes along during one of these down cycles. They become complacent, taking God for granted. They're now under Roman occupation. They're once again looking to help from God. And God would always send a deliverer. He'd always raise somebody up to help them. He'd raise up people like Moses. He'd raise up people like David. He would raise up different judges. And they're crying out. And John's wanting them to know that God is sending a Messiah, a deliverer once and for all. So it makes perfect sense. Because before God could bless them, before God could bring the Messiah, they first needed to repent. They first needed to turn their hearts back to God. It was an act of humility. It was an act of preparation. And the baptism of Jesus was an act of humility and an act of preparation. Think about this. Think about the fact that Jesus, God, humbled himself to the point to be baptized by a man. Jesus, God, went through the motions, acting as if he needed to repent when he had done nothing wrong. It was an act of preparation because, see, I've found that often we don't rise to the occasion, we sink to our preparation. If you haven't prepared for what God has called you to do, you're not gonna rise up in the moment. And what did God call Jesus to do? 
to, to suffer and take upon him the sin and shame for all humanity. If he couldn't do that in this moment, why would he do it at the cross? It was an act of preparation, an act of humility, an act of obedience. But it was also a distinguishing moment. It was distinguishing in fact, it was almost like an ordination. An ordination. And I thought of different words I could use. I, I, I thought about Maybe I could talk about how it was an act of obedience, and it was. I mean, Jesus said it was. He said, hey, it's necessary that I do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is something God wants. It's, and my will is to do the will of the Father. I need to do this to be obedient. Jesus was obedient to his Father's will, but baptism was just one act in a series of obedience. It started with him coming to earth, taking on human flesh, being born as a baby, and it ended with him dying on the cross. But I thought if I focused too much on the fact that baptism is about obedience, then you might see it as an obligation. And the truth is, it's not an obligation. Because you can be a Christian and not be baptized. You can be married and not wear a ring, but why would you want to? It's not an obligation, but I think it's an ordination. It's a distinguishing moment in your life. It was this point where Jesus announced, things have shifted for me now. I'm gonna be about the Father's will. I was thinking about how all the different moments in our life, the things that are significant, we generally, before we embark on them, we do it publicly. Think about the, those different moments, whether it's your graduation, whether it's your wedding, even your sweet 16 birthday party. Well, what are we doing? We're, we're saying, this is a distinguishing moment in my life. I'm wanting everybody to witness this, to see that I've drawn a line in the sand. It's where you can look back and say, It was public. Things shifted for me at that moment. It's an ordination. For the Gentiles, it was an announcement that their identity had changed. For John, it was an announcement to turn back from sin and to turn to God. For Jesus, it was an announcement that his mission had started. And maybe that's the reason some people don't get baptized. Because what if they start down this road and what if they fail? What if they go to make it official and they make a fool of themselves? What if they go public and what if it doesn't work out? Well, what was so interesting to me is what happened when Jesus came out of the water. And I don't know if you noticed it, but I I wanna read it to you again. In verse 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. How many of you would like that kind of affirmation in your life? 
Think about this. Jesus, the one with infinite power and infinite potential. Jesus, the one who was the only one who could complete his mission. He had the most important calling and mission in history. Jesus, who did more in his lifetime than John said, if it were written about it, the books could not contain it. If Jesus, who had more to lose and much higher stakes than you and I will ever encounter in our life, if he had his father's acceptance before he did a single thing in his earthly life to obtain it, then what makes you think that you have to get it all right before you can obtain it as well? So many of us, we've got so many reasons why we don't get baptized. We've said yes to Jesus privately and personally. But today's your opportunity to take it public. What if God, what if all God was asking you to do was to take a next step? To identify with him. To proclaim him publicly. Offer yourself to him. Well, what if getting baptized was your initial public offering to God? You say, God, I'm yours. Submitted myself to you. I'm here to do your will. I'm drawing a line in the sand. All I'm asking is that you take a next step today. And if you are a follower of Christ and you have never been baptized, today's your day. 